0: Before we start today's podcast, just want to issue kind of an apology. We had a lot of issues going on with the Zoom call. I couldn't get my camera to work. Priscilla was feeling really bad and actually had to leave before we got to our episode recaps. She was a real trooper for sticking around as long as she did. Uh, We recorded our ratings and our what's worse segment together. And then she really needed to go. So you're going to get kind of a hodgepodge, plus you're just going to get me solo talking about the recap, which I know nobody really likes, but it's the only way I can put the podcast out this week. So thanks for enduring this time around, and hopefully we'll be back to our normal format and our normal guests next week.
1: Part of P Media, media doublepmedia.com.
0: Welcome back to Bustin' Blockbusters. My name is Matt Murdoch. I am joined once again by Priscilla TV, the YouTuber. You can't see our faces today. We're giving you only pictures because I have camera issues. She has issues with being on camera. So there you go. That's that's <laughs> what's going on there. So uh, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 6, Udun, I think is how you say that, written by Nicholas Adams, Uh justin doble gosh everybody wrote on this uh the showrunners jd Payne and patrick mckay and it was directed by charlotte brandstrom so uh big crew at the head of this particular episode priscilla tv is of course a place that you need to visit we want to make sure as we introduce her that we tell you go to her youtube channel she's putting out her own reviews of these episodes and appearing with uh How is that said, Priscilla?
1: Universo 42. Okay. On Saturdays. On on,
0: every weekend, so you get two appearances from her on top (laughs) of this appearance every week on YouTube. Be sure to look those up. You'll have the URL in the video right now and in the show notes. I want to rate this episode, Priscilla, but I want to hear your rating first. What would you give this episode on a scale of one to ten?
1: Well, Matt, I'm giving 9.6 double Vs.
0: The D- Double Vs?
1: Yeah, Vaporous Volcano. So, yeah, it, you know, apparently uh, that he cares too much about the arcs, so much that he wants to give this uh, broad of adorable arcs a place to call home. And as we are going to see in this episode now, that involves a volcano basically so it was a great episode not uh, like there was not even one scene that felt out of place in my opinion mm-hmm. i just had to subtract 0.2 points because though they made it clear they were going after the remaining orcs to clean up the lands at the end they made it seem like those only two villages were the whole southlands so it was a little bit okay it felt a little bit contained there Mm -hmm. And I will detract another uh, 0.2 because I was very hungry when I watched. It was before my breakfast, so I was kind of grumpy.
0: Well, I think that Adar is what you call one of those extreme environmentalists who uh, tries to tip things to the point uh, to where it's so good that it ends up causing more destruction because that volcano was a little bit destructive there at the end. As you called it last week or and maybe in prior weeks also you said you thought that hilt was part of a key to do something to activate something and you even mentioned that it might wake up mount doom and it seems that it has so congratulations to you for getting something right oh thank you i mean not that you've been wrong about anything but uh this one stood out you predicted it way before it happened so i was very close to your score i'll just a just a decimal point underneath i went 9.5 out of 10 double h's
1: double h's
0: yeah hilt hoaxes because there were some really convenient things in this episode uh but i couldn't find much of a way to deduct for those because it was such a good episode Uh, i might have gone all the way up to a 10 if it hadn't been for the fact that it's a couple of those things like the fact that the the hilt switch just seemed completely out of the blue and i didn't see any point where waldrig and and adar could have done that and and there were a couple of other things about you know like the numenoreans showing up at just the right moment and all that but it's nitpicking so i'm not really going to worry about that otherwise that horse chase sequence with adar and halbrand and galadriel is one of the best horse sequences i've ever seen in my entire life it was amazing filmmaking I'm not exactly sure how they did that don't care it just made me super mm-hmm. excited really excellent and you know there are things that you can do to explain some of the the fact that the, you know the whole Numenors norians were charging at, and came in at just the right time you can also mm-hmm. displace the time on the boat as being earlier than we thought
1: mm-hmm.
0: simply because you know we're looking at their perspective at that point so there are a lot of ways to explain some of it but i just had to deduct a half a point off for some of the things that made me feel a little weird, uh, in terms of like, well, uh, okay, I guess so. But other than that, I, I I really, really, really enjoyed this episode. I thought Adar was awesome. I love that scene where Galadriel almost lost it the way that he, you know, drove her to the point where she was just about to kill him. And the way that Halbrand had to pull her back the same way that she had to pull Halbrand back. We'll talk Mm -hmm. about that as we go along. But I want to get into the music here because there were some interesting things done with themes that we already know that we've already talked about, like the Numenorian theme and the Galadriel theme. In some cases, it was a matter of changing keys or what I call pitch modulation, uh, as well as a place with that particular scene that I was talking about where Galadriel was about to kill Adar, where Bear used polytonality to create Mm. this very dark emotional effect. Here we go. One of the things that a composer can do to make scenes more epic, or to make scenes darker, is to use a couple of techniques that we call pitch modulation, which essentially just means changing keys, and polytonality, which actually means playing two keys at the same time. Now, pitch modulation can be used just to propel a scene forward, while polytonality, as you might imagine, to our ears typically is to create a tense situation or something to that effect because our brains just aren't used to hearing two pitch centers at the same time. It Naturally, when notes from one part collide with the other, and they don't really fit together, that creates dissonance. And I'm going to use a couple of themes that we've already talked about, just so you're familiar with those sounds already, that were employed in this particular episode using each of those. And we'll start with pitch modulation. Now, as I said, pitch modulation is just changing keys, usually. And often what that does is it makes the second part more prominent or helps the second part to propel a scene forward. And that's what happened when the Numenor Horses were charging over the hill, and we saw all of that. There were a couple of slight changes to the Numenorian theme as well. Just to refresh your memory, here's what the Numenorian theme sounds like. Now, one of the things that McCrary did was he actually changed the color of the melody by making it minor instead of major like we just heard. That gives it more of a seriousness as opposed to a lighter feeling, right? As we've talked about before. So rather than feeling this kind of harmony out of the melody, we instead hear this kind of harmony out of the melody, which gives it a slightly darker tone. Not only that, but he takes what would normally be that melody pitch, and he puts it up an octave. And what that does is it adds urgency to the mission of this group of horses. So the result of that is the melody ending up sounding like this. And that does kind of change the flavor, doesn't it? Going to that higher pitch and it being minor really makes it emphasized. Also, the timbres being used here are low brass, so there's a sense of nobility to it then as we see galadriel is leading the charge we hear her theme but as i said it's in a different key that theme sounds like this melodies are played over this really nice rhythm that gives everything a sense of urgency too subdivisions of 16th notes and if you just think about it you get 16 of those per measure or that many notes per measure so when we subdivide things the more we subdivide it the more exciting it is and this way he not only emulates kind of the galloping of the horses but he also gets our heart pumping why are they racing who are they racing to And as it turns out, of course, they're racing to save the day. But we don't really know that at that point yet. So the 16th notes are important in order to raise our excitement for it, which helps actually set up their arrival later on. And what he does is he uses that same figure, which connects both the Numenorian phrase and the Galadriel phrase, and he just connects them by Changing the notes underneath in order to seamlessly transition from the E minor key to the A minor key. The end result is really awesome. It sounds like this. Okay, so that's how the pitch modulation works. Let's now talk about the polytonality. Again, we will use Galadriel's theme. And this is during a scene where she starts to threaten Adar about killing all of his relatives and then killing him. And then he notes how dark she's become. The dissonance within this isn't quite as bad as what you'll hear on the piano simply because of the timbre, the instrument. When you do this with more mellow kind of sounds, like French horn playing the melody and strings playing the bass line, then you don't get quite as much of a clash, but it does make it feel darker. So first, Galadriel's melody is played in this key. You can feel where that key center is, but Bear throws you off by placing a bass note underneath that doesn't fit that key at all. This note. And by doing that and playing them at the same time, you get a very uncomfortable feeling about the kind of thoughts that Galadriel is having, and even Adar points it out. Now, once again, I will re emphasize on a piano, this sounds much more just kind of wrong than it does with the timbres that Bear McCreary uses. This is why what instrumentation you choose is very important. Using a French horn to play the melody and the strings to play something else kind of separates the two different keys to a place where they can mix together better, whereas opposed to playing it just in one single kind of instrument, like I'm about to on the piano, it starts to sound just wrong. But if you go back and watch that scene... You'll see how those two colors, the French horn and the strings, really work together well, not to make anything sound wrong, but just to make it sound alarmingly dark. And really, technically, it is wrong, but nonetheless, you don't get quite the feeling of it as you will get from my playing it on the piano. Get ready. Here we go. Trust me, those are the exact pitches that are being played during that scene when Galadriel starts to make her threat. And it is a perfect example of how polytonality can make you feel uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable that Galadriel is speaking in this dark way. Even Adar is uncomfortable. But those are some wonderful ways that music can propel a scene forward or really change the emotional context for us. Let's get to our episode recap right now. Oh, hey, Matt. Matt. Yeah. Coach, what are you doing here? I heard you were down a player, and I thought I'd assist you with the episode recaps. You know what, Coach? We've gotten a lot of complaints about you, so I'm not going to have you back. I'm sorry. I would rather just do the recap on my own. I know I'm terrible at interacting with myself in terms of making jokes, but I would rather just go through the recap, make some observations, and move along. Well, what the hell kind of attitude is that? I mean, I'm someone who has a unique perspective regarding Billy Orc's opinions and his perspective. We got plenty of that from Eddar. We, we got the Ork perspective from Adar, this episode. We don't need your additional input. Well, what the hell? How do I get out of the Zoom? Figure it out. Okay, he's gone. So this time around, the episode was much more focused on a single storyline, or technically two storylines that converge. No dwarves and elves kind of thing with Elrond or Durin or any of that. No Harfoots this time around either. And we'll start with the section at sea where both Asildor and Halbrand can't sleep. And Asildor does his assigned double P, pitchforking poop, and then goes on deck to eat an apple that he shared with his horse Beric. And Galadriel talks to him. She explains that elves have keen eyes and she's seen the shore for an hour, even though they are just now close enough for humans to be able to see it as the sun is coming up. So that ability of elves to see a long way off is a lot like Legolas. Or we even saw Elrond being able to do that where Galadriel's boat going to Valinor, he could no longer see. But it's been well established in the lore and like we saw in the Peter Jackson movies where Legolas, I think it was in the Two Towers, where he was standing on a cliff and looking and he said, they're taking the hobbits to Isengard Somebody made like a two-hour-long video of him just saying that to music. But back to this story, Galadriel tells him about how being humble is a good thing, but he actually wants to talk about how terrible Numenor seems to him now. And that glorious sunrise reveals the land, and Isildur's dad is there. And then Galadriel asks Elendil what happened to his wife. He says that she drowned, and doesn't offer much more. It's interesting that Galadriel talks about his wife because then that becomes a bonding moment for him and Isildur later. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But maybe Galadriel's interest is because Elendil was married to a part elf, a half elf. I don't know the lore. I'm not a Tolkien expert. It would have been nice to have Priscilla here because she could probably tell me. Or you can tell me by tweeting at at BustBlockbuster on Twitter Or you can tweet to the bosses at the word DOUBLE, the letters PHQ, which stands for Podcast Headquarters. Anyway, Elendil then goes and tells the Queen that they're near land. Uh, But it seems like the journey is still going to take them having to sail up rivers, going inland. And then they'll have a day or so of horse riding. And the Queen looks at this map and it's very focused on the place where we know that Bronwyn and Arendir and Theo are held up. And later on in the episode, we see them charging on horseback towards that place. That was an epic scene as well. Lots of great horse scenes in this particular episode. Of course, the one that really got me was the chase with Adar. But now that we've seen that map and we know that the Numenoreans are coming, we can focus on that tower or the areas around it. And we have Adar... Doing this thing with the ground. It seems to be this ceremony, except the way that he does it, it seems like this very creepy ritual that asks for new life in defiance of death. I guess he's doing it to try and save his orcs. And then he gives, you know, another classic win one for the Gipper kind of speech to the orcs before they go to war on the tower. Waldrig is there. I don't know if he really looks convinced. Given what he does at the end of the episode, maybe he just knows that his path isn't along this, although he would have to be there to get the hilt from Adar later, so all of that seemed kind of confusing to me. He is with Adar when they approach the tower, but when they get to the tower, only Erandir remains. Everybody else has gone back to the village, they're safe, and he has to Legolas his way around uh, so that the tower does indeed come down on many of the orcs below it was pretty cool how they did all of that jury rigging and everything of the tower itself which bought time for Bronwyn and the rest of the village to have gone back to their home to prepare for fighting off any of the orcs that remain the next day Arendir is trying to destroy the hilt and he's not having any luck and they're preparing once again for the orcs And at first, we have another win-win for the Gipper speech from Bronwyn and Erendir. Theo, of course, wants to fight, but Bronwyn has assigned him to protect the ones who can't fight because he can. And evidently, Arendir and Bronwyn's win-win for the Gipper speech was not good enough. He wants a personalized one from his childhood, and he gets one and a hug from his mother. Shortly after that, Bronwyn and Erendir do their own new life in Defiance of Death ceremony. This one doesn't seem nearly as creepy as the one that Eddard did with the Alfrin seeds. And that night, the orcs approach. Well, we think they're orcs at first. Bronwyn can't really strike her flint rock match as the orcs approach, and that's part of her job. But she does finally overcome one orc and uses his torch to light the wagon and set it towards the orcs. Some orcs, not all orcs, because evidently a lot of these are human. The two wagons combined encircle a lot of the opposing force in fire. And then Arandir and some of the other humans pick off some of those that are trapped with arrows. There are some orcs slash humans that get to him that have escaped the flames and the arrows. And throw him off of the building. He ends up fighting them on the ground. And then he ends up facing this huge Orc, which almost looks more like a Yurukai. We'll talk about Yuruk in a little bit, but I guess we'll just call it Hulk Smash Orc because it fights and grunts a lot like the Hulk. That fight goes on for a long time with Arandir getting thrown around all over the place and uh they fight over this pointy stick, which Arandir had managed to stick in this orc's eye, but then the orc just kind of pulled it out and now is about to put it in Arandir's eye. But of course, conveniently, Bronwyn shows up just in time to stab this orc. So it looks like they've won the first part of the battle, but they realize that most of the people that they beat were humans in masks, not actually orc. And that's when the real assault begins from Adar. Arrows come flying down, many people are killed, Bronwyn is hit with an arrow, and all of the humans in Erendir are forced to fall back into the cavern where Theo is. It's there that Theo and Arendir have to remove the arrow that's in Bronwyn. She's starting to lose a lot of blood. But Arendir uses some of the Alfren seeds that he still had from Bronwyn. And he puts it in the wound, I guess, to help heal her. Again, this whole defiance of death ceremony stuff. And then Theo has to use a hot poker to cauterize the wound to stop the bleeding. Looks like she's going to die. Looks like she's dead. Magically, she wakes back up. The Alphron seeds did their work. Then the orcs invade the tavern itself and pretty much overtake everybody, hold everybody hostage. Adar tells Erendir to give him the hilt or he's going to kill the rest of them. And Theo, in an act of desperation, gives up the hilt in order to save his mom. But then that charging force of Numenorians that had been riding on horseback that we saw earlier arrive just in time. They start overtaking the elks. The sun is starting to come up. Some of the elk orcs don't seem too affected by that. Although when they're taken prisoner, they are put in the shade and Galadriel does use that as a threat later. Lots of cool horse stuff in this episode. Some of Galadriel doing equestrian acrobatics as she's fighting these orcs. Valandil who is Isildur's friend, also fighting very well, has to end up saving Isildur's other friend, Antemo. I think that's how you say his name. Elindil's in the fight too. Uh, he's about to get killed, and Halbran ends up saving him. And Isildur is sent by the queen to join in the fight himself as she stands safely on a hill, as she should. She's the queen regent. She shouldn't be involved in any of this. Although the orcs missed a golden opportunity in taking her adar who evidently has the hilt at this point takes off on his horse galadriel chases adar after a geez, that's a lot of a's tells her that he must not get away with that hilt halbrand sees the chase starting and he joins in as well and as i said earlier man what a fantastic horse sequence this is as they are, you know, riding and racing against Adar. I didn't understand how Halbrand got in front of him. Seemed awful convenient. But nonetheless, just the shots of them running those horses through those woods were completely breathtaking. Even better than the Arwen sequence in The Fellowship of the Rings, where that was a really neat chase sequence as well and great horsework there. This just takes the cake. And as I said, Halbrand conveniently has been able to circle around Adar and, and manages to trip his horse up, which dehorses Adar, and then stands over him and asks Adar if he remembers him. But Adar doesn't, and Halbrand is about to kill him when Galadriel has to stop him and talk him down. So now I'm wondering what is this past between Adar and Halbrand? What did Adar do? to, I'm suspecting, Halbrand's family, simply because Adar brings that up. Seems to be a thing that Adar does often. So that's his first guess as to what he did. So it might be something like that. But now he's captured, and as the village is being cleaned up, uh, Valandil and Asildor are going, getting assigned to go on a trip into the mountains to round up the rest of the orcs. But Antamo is going to evidently desert this expedition and stay behind in the village. He wants to check out what farm life is like. Probably good, because he's not much of a fighter anyway. All the while, Galadriel starts to interrogate Adar about where Sauron is. And she calls him a Moriandor, I think. It translated to Son of the Dark, one of the first orcs. These are the perversions of Morgoth taking elves and transforming them into orcs. But Adar uses this term, Uruk. And of course, we know of the Uruk High that were created by Saruman that end up pursuing the hobbits in the Fellowship of the Ring and all throughout the course of the series, really. So it's interesting to make that connection between Adar himself, who seems to be somewhat of this distorted elf, and the Uruk themselves that Saruman later creates. Anyway, Galadriel asks Adar directly where Sauron is, and he tells her about all of the dark spells that Sauron tried, which evidently failed, back at that ice fortress that we saw in the first episode that Galadriel was actually at, and she saw the results of some of those experiments. And then Adar basically says that he killed Sauron for hurting his children, The orcs, of course, the orcs call him father, and she does not believe him. She goes through a whole twisted thing about revenge where she tells him, you know, that she's going to kill all of his children before killing him. And the tone is so dark that Adar actually points out that it's dark as well. He's really enjoying the fact that he's gotten to her in this way. That's the music that I was talking about in terms of the polytonality, if you listen to the music segment. And as Galadriel is about to slice Adar's throat, this time Halbrand actually returns the favor to Galadriel and stops her from killing Adar. And then Adar asks the same question that we are asking regarding Halbrand. Who are you? But Halbrand ignores Adar and follows Galadriel. They go into the woods. They have a talk. It was a very lovely talk. It was a talk about letting go of the past and making a connection that ends up getting interrupted by a summoning from the queen. But I really like that scene, the way they were talking about how they have to let go of their darkness and and try and pursue this mission in the name of the light. But Queen Muriel's summoning turns out to be just really to introduce Halbrand to Bronwyn. Here he is, the king that was promised, according to Bronwyn, or at least she asks. That's very A Song of Ice and Fire. Again, I'm not a Tolkien expert, so I can't really comment on this directly, but I don't know that there's anything in any of the stories that indicates a king that was promised. I suppose, if you're looking at it from the perspective of like the prologue of Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, from Peter Jackson, you could think that maybe the king that was promised is the one who will defeat Sauron. So, would that be a Sildor, perhaps? At any rate, Halbrand acknowledges that he is at least a king. He acknowledges that he is the king that was promised, which is kind of weird. I mean, how would he know? Then Galadriel, who has gotten that hilt from Adar, Or at least the package that Adar was carrying. Again, I'm not sure when this switch happens or whatever. But she gives the package back to Arendir without even looking at it. She doesn't even, he says, it's evil, he can't get away with it. She doesn't even want to know what it is. I mean, they could have found out that it was just an axe at that point. Why isn't anybody doing any curiosity thinking about things? Why isn't anybody exploring questions? And what's even worse is Arendir doesn't look at it either. He just gives it back to Theo, the guy who's addicted to it. And Theo says that he does feel lost without it. And Arendir encourages him to give it to Numenor to toss back into the sea. And I think that Theo is about to agree with this. I'm concerned about his addiction to this thing. But he unwraps it to look at it. And yes, it's just an axe. So, Waldrig ended up getting it somehow from Adar after Adar had it. Now, granted, Waldrig, being a human, may have been able to walk amongst the other humans and the Numenoreans without being noticed and get the hilt from Adar. But the people who were in the tower would know that Waldrig left to go serve Adar. So, you would think they would recognize him. He obviously was a leader before. They would recognize him. A lot of this just seems, again, really convenient throw on top of that the fact that he wasn't killed by the collapsing tower but at any rate waldrig has the hilt we see him off somewhere where he uses it to slide into a certain rock that ends up breaking a river dam causing a flood through all of these tunnels that the orcs have been building so these tunnels that have been built by the orcs weren't just for them to travel around during the daytime they were made as this a place where the water would flow to we see water coming up out of the ground all around the village and everything where those tunnels are dug but the water is flowing to a mountain a mountain that is evidently also a volcano and not just any volcano it's evidently mount doom because the way it explodes the way the interior looked lovely shots of the water falling into it and causing this reaction i'm not sure if it was a steam buildup that actually caused the eruption or just a change in temperature or what happens there but Doesn't matter. The mountain blows its top and becomes Mount Doom right then and there for us. And we start to see all of that stuff happening. But before that, Isildur is trying to calm Beric down, his horse, who's probably upset by rumblings under the ground or whatever it is that Waldrigg is doing at the time. But Alindil helps Isildur to calm him down with some elvish words and this sh- seems to shock Isildur that he can even speak Elvish. Hence a what's worse question that's coming up. But he's even shocked more about the fact that Elendil seems to know about the bond between a horse and its rider, at least in the westerlands of Numenor, where evidently Beric is from. And because of this, they have a two they have a, a bonding moment before everything starts going crazy over Elendil's wife, Isildur's mother. Again, I ask the question, how does Elendil know all of this stuff? Is it because his wife was at least part elf? Again, I'm not a Tolkien expert, so if you are, please write into me, and that way we'll get to the bottom of that. And the episode ends with that volcano, and I don't know if it's the pyrocastic flow or not, but if it is a pyrocastic flow, I don't see how anything could survive it. We see it moving towards the village. We see people running away. Halbrin's trying to get people behind a wall, evidently. Like, that's going to help if it's a pyroclastic flow. But nonetheless, Galadriel stands there, watches it. I'm not sure if she's accepting her own death or if she's concentrating on some way to survive. As we know, Galadriel must survive this in some way because she shows up a thousand years later with hobbits and that kind of thing. So we've discussed the episode completely now, Priscilla, what do you think about this episode in terms of situations that might be worse for one another? That's what we like to call what's worse in this particular (laughs) episode, where you will ask me a question and then I will pick an answer and then you will have to argue the opposite. What's worse? Priscilla, what is your what's worse question?
1: So Matt, what's worse, uh, being constantly asked about your former boss, or not remembering what did you do against the guy who is about to kill you?
0: Oh boy, uh, I'm gonna say being asked about your former boss because there's <laughs> nothing more annoying than not getting credit for things that that you actually did, and everybody crediting the guy who's already retired, all he already got his boat. He's out in the ocean. It's kind of like Bubba. He's already out in the ocean sailing on a boat or going on a Star Wars galaxy cruise, just like Bubba, uh, who spent an an enormous amount of money to go to that uh, that Star Wars galaxy adventure thing this week. You know, he's not my former boss yet, but someday he will be. And I know that every time people see me, they're still going to talk about Bubba uh, instead of, you know, the wonderful musical analysis that I did for all of his podcasts. Mm and I'm really just, uh, I'm upset already. I I mean, I'm looking years into the future and I'm already upset. Bubba, it's all your fault. I hate you. No, I don't really hate you. Uh, but uh, being constantly reminded about Bubba uh, always gets mm-hmm. me going. So what are you going to say to that?
1: Well, I think If you're going to die, you at least would want to know the reason you're dying, right? So not remembering what caused this person, this man, to hate you so much that he is really into killing you. That's not only annoying, but, you know, you supposedly live in your last moment, so you would want to make sense of it. So I think it's worse.
0: Ah, Okay, well... I would see I'm going to poke holes in that right now. I know I'm not supposed to have a rebuttal, but I think it's worse being the guy who's not remembered. Right. Uh, Because the guy who's not remembered is like, look, I want to kill you. And he's going, well, well, what for? Uh, You know, you want to kill this guy because he did something horrible to you and he doesn't even remember you at all. He doesn't remember why you want to kill him. I think that that's actually worse than uh, not remembering what you did to the guy. Mm hmm. I want to ask you a real quick question here, and then we'll put our third one on the poll. But what's worse? Having to admit to your elf future stepdad that you are addicted to an evil object, or finding out that someone who switched out that object that you're addicted to did so out from underneath both yours and the elf's noses?
1: Well, I think having to admit any addiction to your stepdad is troubling. So I would say this is worse. Uh, in this case to you, he's already taking uh, big steps towards his recovery. But this puts a lot of um, you know, pressure in this re- this new relationship that he has with his stepdad. So I think it's the worst part.
0: Okay. I think you're completely wrong and here's why. <laughs> You've, you're addicted to this thing. You know, You're addicted to heroin. You've got a bag of heroin. And somebody can sneak it out from you? I mean, that's just completely awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need your fix, man. You need your fix. And it's been taken away from you. So there's my argument. We will put both of those questions on the poll. In addition, we will put this question on the poll just for you guys to debate and decide what's worse, double peeing, that's pitchforking poop, for an entire boat trip, or finding out your father has been holding out on you All your life that he speaks Elvish, especially when he's been busting your chops for wanting to know about the Western shores. So you guys parse that one out. I'm not going to give the results from last week. They were terrible for me, uh, and it's embarrassing. Priscilla won them all by a lot. In fact, her smallest margin of victory was 63 to 37 percent. So I just don't even want to talk about it anymore. we do have just a little bit of feedback even though it's not about the lord of the rings this is pertaining to my particular podcast this came in on youtube recently for the dr strange multiverse of music video that i did from joe motion studios who has a lot of subscribers and lots of great videos you might want to check them out joe motion studio says this was an absolutely amazing analysis and i loved it please do more of these. Well, Joe Motion Studios, if you happen to be watching this or listening to this, I really appreciate it. First of all. Second of all, if you want to check out more musical analysis, please check out any of the Parsec Passion videos that they have on their YouTube, or you can check out uh, multiple things that they do on the Double P where I have contributed some musical analysis, although not an entire long video regarding that but still lots of stuff in 10 minute segments sometimes as little as a five minute segment where I don't ramble quite as much thanks for joining us really appreciate everything as I said up front we had a really weird herky-jerky kind of recording session lots of things were going on so we apologize for that we'll be kind of back to our normal format hopefully next week where you'll hear more from Priscilla TV, by the way, be sure to check her out, check out her YouTube where she will be putting up reviews herself. You can get the URL on the YouTube right now or in the show notes. She also appears with another YouTuber on Saturdays live and we'll put that link in the show notes as well. As for this podcast, we want to hear from you. Tweet to at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. Send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. You can leave comments at our website, mattsaudioblog.com. Or, especially, we want you to subscribe to Double P Media's YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media there, And if you want to talk to Bubba about the fact that I ratted him out about, I feel like he spent way too much money on the Star Wars Galaxy thing, then you can tweet to at the word double, the letters PHQ on Twitter, or you can find them on Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. And you can find everything that Double V Media does on their website, the word double, the letter P, the word media.com. This has been Matt. Take care.
1: of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.